Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, August 8th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News here in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, future GM EVs could soon double as backup home generators. Wholesale used car prices fall again in July, but not so sharply. And Mazda doubles its profit on booming U.S. sales. Plus, anti-autonomous vehicle sentiment is a big problem for AV advocates and their attempts to revive federal legislation. We'll hear from the Autonomous Vehicle Industry Association's Jeff Farah. I think for a lot of Americans, they, they this has kind of gone on, on a little bit under their nose and they don't realize the amount of progress that has really taken place in the last decade or so of, of testing. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. General Motors plans to offer bi-directional charging on all of its EVs by 2026. The automaker says that will start with the 2024 Chevrolet Silverado EV RST this year. Bidirectional charging allows the EV to send energy from its battery to other sources, such as a house. GM did not give any details on pricing, but said the bidirectional charger would be priced only modestly higher than a standard one of the same power level. The Detroit automaker says the technology will allow consumers to store and transfer energy to help offset electricity costs during peak demand times and to mitigate the effect of power outages. Wholesale used vehicle prices fell again in July. Cox Automotive's Mannheim Index recorded a fourth straight monthly decline, although it was smaller than the previous drops. It fell 1.6% in July from June. Cox adjusts that figure for mix, mileage, and seasonality. The index was 11.6% lower last month compared with July 2022. Meanwhile, another major indicator showed similar results. Black Book's used vehicle retention index fell by 1.4% in July from June. Mazda's profits jumped on booming U.S. sales of crossovers such as the CX-50 and CX-90, Net income in the company's fiscal first quarter more than doubled to $257 million as revenue soared 72% to almost $2 billion in the three-month period. Operating profit topped $200 million in the quarter that ended June 30th, more than reversing an operating loss of $135 million a year earlier. Global sales expanded 32% to 309,000 vehicles in the quarter, soaring on the wings of a 61% jump in North American shipments. Sales in Europe, Mazda's second biggest market, rose 46% to 44,000. CFO Jeffrey Guyton credited the bottom line improvement to Mazda's shift to a more profitable product portfolio. And yesterday on the show, we said Lucid was expecting to see deepening second quarter losses. That's all set in stone now. Lucid says its second quarter net loss widened 38% to $764 million from $555 million a year earlier. Revenue jumped 55% to $151 million. Deliveries were unchanged from the previous three months at 1,400 vehicles, even as production fell 6% from the first quarter. The company slashed prices for its air luxury sedan over the weekend to try to better compete with Tesla Model S and its price cuts this year. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, wholesale used vehicle prices fell again in July. 
What does this say about that important part of the market? You know, I think it's a, a continued, you know, reversion to the mean, right? It's the things are getting a little more normal again. What used car prices have been historically high. They've been in such high demand because for the past two, three years, we haven't had enough new cars. And all those new car shoppers got pushed into the used market and they raised the price. More demand, higher price. Now that we're getting more supply of the new vehicles, it's bringing some of those buyers back into the new market, releasing some of the pressure on the used market. I feel like prices are still a little high, but we're on the path. Things are getting more back toward normal for better or for worse. It's good. It's finally starting to come back to normal because we're always talking about how just insane that market is doing. <laughs> uh, coming up, the autonomous vehicle industry is trying to revive federal legislation governing their vehicles. We'll get an update from the head of a leading AV trade group next on Daily Drive. Hi, I'm Pete Bigelow, host of Shift, a podcast about mobility from Automotive News. Each week, I bring you a conversation with leaders who are on the cutting edge of transportation, like this one with consultant and strategist Salika Josiah Talbot. The technologists are forcing themselves in a space that they shouldn't be. And I think the social scientists and politicians are falling down on the job. To hear more about the new technology and policy reshaping the way people and goods move around, join me on Shift. New episodes each Sunday on autonews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. The autonomous vehicle landscape has been changing rapidly in America. Big players such as Cruise and Waymo have huge expansion plans after deploying their robo-taxis in select markets, but controversy over AV safety and public distrust are still major obstacles. On top of that, the industry is still waiting on federal legislation to govern this emerging space. Jeff Farah is the executive director of the Autonomous Vehicle Industry Association, which lobbies on behalf of the AV industry. He spoke with our own Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. Here's a piece of their conversation. Give us a quick idea of what the Autonomous Vehicle Industry Association does and, and who your members are. I'd, I'd be glad to. So our, our organization's membership is composed of all of the leading autonomous vehicle companies in the United States. And we are spread across all different vehicle modes. We've got leading companies in passenger cars and, and trucks and shuttles and zero occupancy delivery vehicles. The thing they all have in common is that they are pursuing level four and level five autonomous vehicles. It's, a, it's an incredibly exciting time for the industry and for the technology. I think that you know, from where we sit for many years, a lot of people were asking, when are autonomous vehicles going to be here? And what's really great for me is to be able to say, they're here now. We've got deployments going on all over the country, and our members seem to be making new announcements for deployment and, and testing and new pockets of the United States every week. And so it's really my privilege to lead the organization with such a fantastic membership. That is a, a great thought that things really seem to have changed in the last, you know, even six months where we've gone from talking about something that's going to occur in the future in a in a large widespread way to to something that's actually happening. Kind of before we dive into some of the details here, uh, what what is your thirty thousand foot view of of the industry and how we got to this moment and why we're, why we're here right now? You know, I think with the autonomous vehicles, as I, as I said, there was always this idea over the horizon of, of what was going to happen, and and now we're at this phase where we actually get to see this happening. 
I think for a lot of Americans, they, they this has kind of gone on, on a little bit under their nose and they don't realize the amount of progress that has really taken place in the last decade or so of, of testing. Our organization released some, some data recently that demonstrated that just within the Avia membership, our members have driven more than 44 million miles autonomously. That is more than 184 trips to the moon. That is more than 1,750 trips across the United States. And so I think it really demonstrates that this is not something that's a science experiment. This is the real world and, and the benefits are starting to accrue. At the same time, this is a, a time of immense challenge for the industry because this is where the commercialization needs to occur. And companies are obviously getting pressure, whether they're in the public markets or the private markets, to move to that next phase of the industry and, and make sure that these are, are viable businesses. And so we're certainly not immune from a lot of the economic pressure that has occurred for, for all businesses, but it's probably a, a little bit more intense for an industry that's relatively new, for an industry that is really trying to get its legs underneath it and, and demonstrate how it is they can create a lot of these businesses. And so uh, we're doing our best to make sure that public policy is, is not a reason that some of these companies don't do well. We know that it's, it's hard enough to get the technology right. It's hard enough to get the fundraising environment right. And, and a lot of other things. And we want to make sure that, that policymakers are really helping to propel this industry instead of holding it back. And so that work's taking place at, at every level of government. And, and we're, again, very privileged to be able to, to lead that policy advocacy on behalf of the industry. Well, there's certainly a lot going on on the, on the policy front, as you well know, Jeff. And uh, it seems like as things have gotten real, as we said uh, earlier, that there's these regulatory efforts that could help and or hurt, depending on the one we're talking about. So let's let's take these in bite-sized chunks. Uh, in California, we have a couple of major issues looming, probably first and foremost on August 10th, the California Public Utilities Commission is supposed to have a meeting uh, and decide whether Cruz can expand its service in San Francisco and whether Waymo can start its uh, autonomous service in San Francisco. This one seemed like like a shoe in. So, so what happened? Why, why are we seeing this, this meeting delayed repeatedly? And why does this feel like it's suddenly a, a big question mark? You know, Pete, I, I think it's hard to handicap the, the why of things being delayed, but I'll tell you that this, this delay is entirely unhelpful and it's, and it's very unwelcome. You know, you look out at a city like San Francisco and, and it has a lot of challenges as a lot of cities do. And it certainly has a lot of challenges on the transportation front. And here you have a, a couple of companies that have really started to deploy these vehicles throughout the city of San Francisco and to provide new mobility and accessibility opportunities for, for San Franciscans to allow them to safely move uh, about the city. And anybody who's been on the ground in San Francisco recently has, has seen how it is these vehicles have, have really started to, to move about. Um, I've been a, a passenger in, in each of those companies' vehicles a, a few different times now. And every time I'm in them, I'm struck by how conservative the vehicles are operating, how they are just so much better at, at getting visibility. When you're moving in a city like San Francisco, any number of things can happen. You have pedestrians walking right off the, the sidewalk. You've got cyclists. You've got delivery trucks. Uh, you've got all sorts of, of challenges that are out there. And I see the way that human drivers are interacting with, with other objects that, that, are, that are in their purview. And that's why you have so many deaths and, and so many accidents going on in a place like San Francisco. You look at that instead with the autonomous vehicle companies, and, and it's just far better for San Franciscans. And so it's been very disappointing to see the CPUC have the delays that it that it has. 
we're, we're very hopeful that this will ultimately stick and that these two companies can can really move forward in, in San Francisco. I know there are other companies as well that are they're obviously excited about this market. And we think that the CPUC needs to send a strong signal that they're they're welcome to come into these mar markets and ultimately help the citizenry of San Francisco. So, Jeff, you and I were both in San Francisco recently at the TRB Automated Road Transportation Symposium, if I if I have that uh, title right. Uh, and yeah, I think it was really interesting to to experience both companies' vehicles firsthand and actually see this, you know, technology in commercial deployments or and or really close when you uh, think of Waymo. At the same time, we heard from Jeff Tumlin about some of the real world challenges that San Francisco has experienced with autonomous vehicles operating there with with robo taxis getting stuck at intersections or or interfering with first responders should there be a pause in operation or a, a safety driver until some of these issues are are kind of more refined you know I, we certainly hear the the concerns from SFMTA loud and clear and and I know that that our members that have engaged in San Francisco have, have really tried very hard to have a, a very productive relationship with SFMTA. And, and certainly, you know, they, they've got a, a lot of challenges in that city in terms of dealing with transportation. They've got a, a, a tough environment um, to, to deal in in a, in a lot of the challenges that, that are out there. Um, at, at the same time, I think that a lot of the AV companies have been very forthcoming in terms of trying to have a, a very good dialogue in terms of, of what the deployments look like. And so this is something where I don't think now is the time to be pausing. I think that there, the dialogue needs to continue. Um, I also think that SFMTA needs to, to make sure that it's being accurate in terms of how it's portraying a lot of the concerns that are out there. I think that a lot of your listeners are going to be aware that, that in fact, it was the CPUC uh, that, that publicly was very critical of SFMTA in terms of how it was that it was presenting data about some of the incidents that, that happened in, in San Francisco. So I think it it's, it's really the responsible thing to do for, for all government entities to make sure that they are portraying data in a, in a very fair way. Uh, it's only when we have you know, fair data that, that really accurately captures what's going on in the marketplace that we can have a, a really great dialogue between policymakers, between, between companies that, that wanna do these deployments. And what we know is that when you, you look at a lot of the publicly available data that's out there, whether it's through the Department of Transportation with their standing general order or its other type of data, it really demonstrates a remarkable safety record for, for autonomous vehicles. And people have to keep in mind that we have a data reporting requirement in our industry that exceeds that of any other type of vehicle mode. So any incidents that happen on public roadways need to be reported to, to DOT and perhaps to other government entities. But a lot of times these incidents are not the fault of the autonomous vehicle whatsoever. They are human drivers that are hitting the back of them. They are other types of entities that are, that are moving around that are, that are causing the incident. And so I think that a lot of times you, you have an overreading of what's going on where every time there, there's an incident involving an autonomous vehicle, it, it automatically gets prescribed to, to the AV, but nothing could be further from the truth. Jeff, it's interesting, like the, the complaints about data seem to run both ways here. It's a two-way two complaint where, you know, the industry and, and CPUC have said, uh, you know, there's concerns about how, how some data is being portrayed from SFMTA. And SFMTA is saying, hey, like we want, we want to know more about your operations in San Francisco and they're lacking information. So I'm curious, is there some sort of viable compromise that could be reached where each side is getting the data that that it's 
wanting? And, and if so, what does that look like? You know, I, I think the companies probably can, you know, speak for themselves in terms of what, you know, the, the amount of negotiations are around, like what data gets provided. I mean, I, I'm very mindful that, you know, we can't get trapped in this situation where we're holding back progress and we're holding back life-saving technology because of some kind of nebulous demand for more and more data that, that isn't necessarily going to be productive to the conversation. There's a lot of data that's already provided. I think the companies have indicated an interest in ultimately doing that. And this is something where we also need to make sure that it's being presented in a way that, that makes sense and that people can properly understand what the incidents are. Because again, we provide much more than any other vehicle mode that's out there. And you do have incidents out there, whether through SFMTA, uh, some other you know, journalists, certainly not you, Pete, who have, who have misunderstood what a lot of this data ultimately says. And so I think we all have an interest in, in kind of within government, within industry, and otherwise in making sure that we understand what's happening with autonomous vehicles. We know because we dig into this and, and, and really take great care that what we see is that autonomous vehicles are already making the roads of San Francisco safer, that they are involved in, in very, very few incidents overall. And then the vast majority of times when an autonomous vehicle is involved in some type of incident, it is the fault of the human driver that is going on there. So you know, within that context, I think there, there's room for us to all understand collectively what, what's going on, but also make sure that we're seeing movement forward, whether it's through CPUC or otherwise. Part of the issue here seems to me that SFMTA does not have a, a seat at the regulatory table. And I, I realize I'm probably walking to a dead end here, proposing more, more regulatory layers to, to industry, but would this be smoother if the public entity that that kind of manages the right of way in the streets of San Francisco had a seat at the table versus kind of being beholden to state regulators telling them what can and can't happen on their streets. You know, Pete, I think within transportation policy, there, there's always this struggle to figure out how you kind of draw the lines of, of demarcation, right? The federal government's got the things that, that it has dominion over and expertise over. The states have the things that they have expertise over. And then cities, a lot of times, are, are looking at the state governments and saying, well, gosh, we'd, we'd like to have a role in this as well. And I think that you know, what we need to do is to design a system where you know, there is input. I think SFMTA obviously has a, a big megaphone in this discussion, uh, but there's a lot of good reasons why it is you, you want to make sure that, that not every city is, is necessarily um, able to, to dictate a lot of things that, that might be within the level of expertise at the state level or perhaps even at the federal level. And so that's a discussion that's going to uh, keep on taking place and realize there's always some tension there. But I think that what people need to be figuring out is how is it we design a system that ultimately promotes the deployment of this technology that will save lives, open accessibility opportunities, ease supply chain challenges. We are at the moment where commercialization is about to happen. We need to be making sure that we are sending signals to the marketplace that allows this all to come forward. And we can't be caught up in endless red tape. Jeff Farah is the executive director of the Autonomous Vehicle Industry Association. He spoke with our own Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. You can hear their full conversation on Shift wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find Jeff's recent guest column for Automotive News titled, The U.S. Needs Autonomous Vehicle Legislation to Compete with China at autonews.com. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer, as well as our own Hannah Lutz, CJ Moore, and Hans Grimel for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on autonomous vehicle legislation, retail, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. 
Come back tomorrow for a look at how Volvo is seeking a path around tariffs on imported vehicles from China. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.